Welcome to Understanding Christianity. I'm glad you've chosen to listen to our podcast today. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as a professor of New Testament, Old Testament, theology, and church history at Colorado Christian University. You know, it's interesting. We live in an age of technology. It's, it's all around us. We live in an age of, of Facebook. And, and I was talking to a friend the other day who has decided to not be on Facebook any longer. And the reason why is because it just got depressing for this person to see other people's posts and to, to see how people were kind of indulging themselves and promoting themselves. And it was really just kind of a narcissistic way that we as a culture like to draw attention to ourselves. And sometimes we can get all of our self-esteem wrapped up in Facebook. Did somebody like my post? Do I have enough likes? Do I have enough comments? And, and people can be obsessed with Facebook. Think about this. Uh, people can be obsessed with selfies, taking pictures of themselves and posting them on Instagram. Uh, we have things like Twitter where people want, we want people to follow us on Twitter so that we can tweet about the things that are going on in our lives and that people will find our lives important. We live in an age of unlimited text messaging where sometimes when you go to a restaurant and you observe people around you, you see that, that some people have lost the art of having an actual conversation with another live person. People may be sitting at a dinner table at a restaurant and everyone's on their phones. Uh, the other day I was watching uh, the NBA finals. We were watching basketball and they were panning into the, the audience behind the, the bench, and my wife made a comment about how many people were actually on their phones. And who knows what they were doing. They may have been live-tweeting the game or, or text messaging, but it's just interesting that we live in a culture of technology. Every time you turn on the TV, you see ads for Game of War, it seems like, the different apps in the App Store, uh, the, the latest and greatest game on PlayStation. Uh, we have jumbo-sized HD plasma TVs to watch the Rockies game or to watch the latest and greatest uh, movie on Netflix. We've got podcasts, smartphones, tablets, junk email. We are inundated with technology on all sides. In essence, we are living in the age of the screen. Whether it's a screen on our phone, a screen on our tablet, a screen on our laptop or computer, a screen in front of us at home on a big screen TV, we are a people of the screen. And if we're not careful, we can commit the danger of sin of what I call screen idolatry. What in the world is screen idolatry? idolatry. Technology in and of itself is not inherently evil. God in his common grace has given us technology as a gift to be used for noble purposes and to improve human flourishing. But yet, yet at the same time, this same technology, the technology of the screen, can become a noose around our necks, leading us to a slow death. What is screen idolatry? Is this something new to our digital generation or has it been around forever? A very interesting passage of Scripture if you go back to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 8, the Lord gives the prophet a vision. He has a vision to go 
to go look and see what's going on inside the temple. Now let's just refresh ourselves what the temple was in the Old Testament. The temple in the Old Testament was where God had chosen to visibly and physically manifest his presence to the nation of Israel. In the very center of the temple was what was called the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred place. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had the law of God. You had a jar of manna. You had Aaron's staff that had budded. It was the place where God chose to reveal his glory, to reveal his holiness. It was the symbolic place where God said, I'm choosing to live with my people. And there was this glory cloud that resided on the temple showing that God was indeed in the midst of his people. And so the temple was the most sacred place on the entire planet where God's holiness, God's glory, God's majesty was manifested. But in Ezekiel's time, it had become a corrupt age. The leaders of Israel, the priests, those who were in charge of the temple, the spiritual leaders of Israel were committing grave sins. And so God tells Ezekiel, go look and observe and see what's going on in my temple. Go see what's going on in my house. Go see what's going on in this sacred place where I've chosen to manifest my glory. And so in Ezekiel chapter 8, we find what Ezekiel observes. So let's read Ezekiel chapter 8, starting in verse 7. And he brought me to the entrance of the court, that is of the temple, And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations they are committing there. Vile abominations. Uh, Abomination means something that God hates, something that offends God something that's so gross, so vile, so wicked that it it kindles God's anger against sin. And so what was this vile abomination that they were committing? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping thing and loathsome beast and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel with Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of the incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pitchers? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He also said to me, you will still see greater abominations that they commit. What does Ezekiel see? He sees these leaders of Israel in their individual rooms in the dark with images in front of them of idolatry. It's very interesting the word that Ezekiel uses for idolatry. Now, these were probably Egyptian gods and goddesses that were on the wall inscribed in the very temple of God. And the word is used over 39 times in the book of Ezekiel to talk about idolatry really is the word animal dropping or dung pellet. 
In other words, the visual imagery here is that it's a cow patty or it's, a, it's an animal dropping. They have, uh, they, this is gross idolatry that they've put in front of them. They've carved, they've engraved images of birds and of animals and of insects and all these uh, Egyptian gods and goddesses on the walls in front of them, a screen, if you will, and they're sitting in the dark looking at these idols. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses gives a strong warning to the nation of Israel about idolatry. They're getting ready to cross over into the promised land, and and Moses uses a very interesting term. He talks about the corruption of idolatry, how idolatry corrupts. And it's interesting that Ezekiel uses the word here, animal pellet, or, or, or animal dropping, or dung pellet. Listen to what Moses warns the nation of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verses 15 through 19. Moses says, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. He's reminding them of back of Exodus 19 when God showed up on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke and earthquakes and, and spoke to them and gave them the Ten Commandments. They didn't see God's form. They just heard his voice. And listen to what Moses tells them. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven." Moses says, don't make an idol of people, don't make an idol of animals, and don't look up at the sun, moon, and stars and make an idol of those. It's, it's corrupt. You are acting corruptly when you make idols. And here is the sad, tragic thing about what's going on in the temple during Ezekiel's time. Seventy elders are doing this. These are the spiritual leaders of Israel sitting in the dark in their rooms looking at, quote-unquote, a screen. Now, it may not be a digital screen like we have, but there's an image in front of them of idols, and they're in the dark. And what are they saying to themselves as they're in the dark? The Lord does not see us. God doesn't know what we're doing. God doesn't care. I'm hiding here in the dark. I'm doing what I want to do, what I love to do, what's in my heart to do, and I could care less about where God is. God doesn't see. I'm in the dark. I'm in darkness looking at my screen, my screen of idolatry. It's very interesting that when you trace this image of darkness throughout the Bible, how evil, how corrupting it really is. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 3, 16. Now, we, we, we're very familiar with John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible, but we often don't continue to read on and hear what, what Jesus says. Listen to the whole context of John three sixteen through 21. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name 
of the only Son of God. That's a very important thing Jesus is saying there. We, you, as a, you and I come into the world as sinners under God's wrath, and we already stand condemned. We're already condemned. And the only way to come out of that condemnation, the only way to come out of that guilt, is by believing in Jesus. But notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in god notice the imagery that jesus uses there people loved the darkness they're in love with the darkness They embrace the darkness. They can't get enough of the darkness because they want to hide in their idolatry. And what Ezekiel sees is these men hiding in their rooms, hiding in darkness with a screen of idolatry in front of them, thinking that God doesn't see. And Jesus says people love darkness. They don't want to be exposed to the light because if they're exposed to the light, their true nature will be revealed. When Paul was before King Agrippa, giving his testimony of how Christ had saved him on the road to Damascus and how Christ had commissioned him to go preach the gospel. It's very interesting the words that Paul uses to explain his ministry. In Acts 26, 18, listen to how Paul describes his ministry of preaching the gospel. Paul says, Christ has sent me to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Jesus tells Paul, I want you to go preach the gospel so that people can turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. In other words, darkness enslaves darkness is of the devil and people who are in darkness don't want to have the light and they and paul says he's been charged to go preach that people may turn from that so there's nothing good about darkness paul goes on to say in romans chapter 13 12 through 14 paul says the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul says, cast off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? It's gratifying the flesh, gratifying the desires of the flesh. And these men are in the temple in their rooms, as Ezekiel sees, and they're not casting off works of darkness. They're in darkness. They're, they're making provision for the flesh. They're gratifying its desires. They're, they're looking at these idols, these screens of idolatry all around them, wickedly worshiping what's in front of them, leading their hearts to go astray. Paul says in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 7, Chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And Belial is a Hebrew word um, that, that really means worthless or wicked. It was used during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament to describe Satan, kind of like a nickname, Lucifer. 
What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What fellowship has light with darkness? And the answer is none. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. They can't coexist. But Ezekiel sees these men in their rooms, in the temple of God, engraving images of idolatry in front of them, sitting there watching the scream of idolatry. And Paul says in chapter 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The, the Greek tense used there really means to hurry up, passionately, urgent, urgently, cleanse yourself from every defilement. You know, Moses called idolatry corrupting, defiling, dirtying. Ezekiel calls idols dung pellets or animal droppings. Paul here says it's a defilement. Cleanse ourselves out of fear of God. Let's continue to think about this image of darkness that we see in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 14, Paul says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, those who are rebelling, those who are idolaters, those who are having a constant lifestyle of darkness. And notice what Paul goes on to say, verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. (laughs) But when, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. It's shameful to speak of things they do in secret. What are these men doing that Ezekiel sees? They're in secret. They're in hiding. They're in their darkened room with idolatry. They are in the darkness. And they're not doing what is good and right and true. They're not walking as children of light. And Paul says, that's what you once were. If you were a Christian, you're no longer part of darkness. That was your former identity. You once were part of darkness. You once were a son of disobedience. You were once under God's wrath, but God has delivered you from that. God has taken you out of that. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 1, 13-14, Paul says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ has delivered us. He's rescued us from what? The domain of darkness. That word domain means kingdom, sphere, enslavement of darkness. As a non-Christian before Christ saved us, we were in the, the enslavement in the kingdom of darkness, but God has transferred us out of that, saved us out of that into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ where we have forgiveness of sins. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives a warning about the second coming of Christ. He says the second coming of Christ is going to come like a thief in the night, It'll be like labor pains coming upon a woman, but he says it shouldn't surprise us as believers. Why? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4 and 5. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. As Christians, we're not of darkness. We're of the light. What did Ezekiel see when he dug that hole and looked into the temple? The leaders of Israel sitting in darkness in their rooms with images in front of their face. Screen, idolatry, and darkness. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The leaders of Israel are living in darkness, in idolatry. John's epistle, 1 John, uh, gives a strong warning about those who claim to be Christian, those who claim to have fellowship with Christ, but yet have a lifestyle of darkness. Listen to what he says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and following. John writes, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have fellowship but walk in darkness, the way that John uses the terminology in his epistle to talk about sin really is, uh, the the verb tense used in the Greek language there really means an ongoing life. Translated a practice, a habit. You could really translate it, those who habitually, as a lifestyle, walk in darkness are not truly Christians. Christians walk in the light. We live in the light. We experience the forgiveness of Christ in the light. So this image of darkness is all throughout the Bible, and it's corrupting, it's wicked, it's the idol of a dung pellet. So much so that in Ezekiel chapter 10, God decides to vacate or leave the temple. God's glory leaves the temple, which is a huge deal for Israel. It's basically God saying, I'm choosing to leave my manifest presence that have been there to to represent my glory and my holiness and my majesty. You've become so corrupt. You've become so idolatrous. You've committed such vile abominations that I'm leaving. My glory is leaving the temple. And it's a scary thought for the nation of Israel for God to pack up and leave his very presence, manifest presence, and the glory cloud leave the temple. And then in chapter 14 of Ezekiel, we we find a further explanation of what idolatry does. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1 and following. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any of of the one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. What does Ezekiel see in the temple? 
these elders of Israel sitting in the dark with a screen, if you will, in front of them of images. And here in chapter 14, God says, these men have taken idols into their hearts. See, here's the thing. Whatever you put before your face oftentimes makes its way into your heart. And it's vice versa. Whatever's in your heart often comes out and what do you want to put before your face? And that's what Ezekiel says here. They set a stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. A stumbling block. Something that causes them to stumble. Uh, This wicked, vile abomination that they're sticking in front of their faces. This screen, if you will, of idolatry has gone deep into their heart and has created an idol. And that's where idolatry really goes. It goes deep into the heart. And what does it cause? When a screen becomes an idol, again, technology in and of itself is not inherently evil. But when Facebook or text messaging or television or PlayStation or movies or anything that you put before your face on a screen becomes an idol and goes deep into your heart and becomes a stumbling block and takes you away from the Lord and moves you into a place of darkness, listen to what God describes it as. There at the end of verse 5, all who are estranged from me through their idols. What does idolatry do? It estranges us from God. What does it mean to be estranged? Well, if we're a Christian, it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation, but it means that we lose the intimacy that we have with the Father. We lose that deep connection, that fellowship. Estrangement means separation. It means conflict. When a family member is estranged, it means they're not getting along. They're they're separated. They're not reconciled. And that's what idolatry does. Moses said it's corrupting. The Bible says it's darkness. Ezekiel says it's a dung pellet. It's corrupting. It goes deep into the heart. It's a vile abomination. And ultimately, the bottom line is that idolatry estranges us from God. Because we're not thinking about God. Our idols have become our obsession. The screen has become our obsession. Think about how much the screen controls our lives. Again, you become obsessed by how many people like a post on Facebook. You put a selfie up on Instagram and you wonder how many people are going to see it. You're bound by answering the text messages all the time and you're obsessed with that. And these idols have come deep into your heart to where if you aren't, um, if you're not satisfied or, or you're, or you're not um, finding your self-esteem or worth through something in a screen, you feel like life would come crumbling down. It drives you, it motivates you, it obsesses you. All these things, it consumes you. The screen has become your idol and ultimately estranges you from the living God. So what is the answer? What's the answer to all things related to sin in the Bible? Listen to how Ezekiel continues ezekiel chapter 14 verse 6 therefore say to the house of israel thus says the lord god what's the lord god going to say to them here it is repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations the answer is in repentance turn away turn away your faces You know, repentance means more than just being sorry. Repentance means more than just, man, this is inconvenient. I'm really upset that I got caught. Um, I really don't want to have to deal with the consequences of my sin. Repentance means that you have a deep sorrow 
and grieving in your heart that you've offended a holy God with vile abominations. And in your heart of hearts, you turn. You make a change. There's a transformation. You're no longer bound by that. You, you, you make a 180 degree turn. That's what repentance is. It's truly evidenced in changed behavior. I mean, you can say all you want that you've changed or all, all you want that you've repented or all that you want you that you're sorry, but if there's no change, if there's no transformation, if there's no difference, it's not true repentance. So this is where we really need to pray and ask God to help us not be bound by screen idolatry to set parameters on how often we check our email or check test messages or, or how often we get on Facebook or how often we spend time in front of the television or how often we play PlayStation or, wh- or whatever screen you find yourself in front of. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give you help, to give you grace, to give you power, to balance that. And obviously, we can't get away from technology. In the day and age in which we live, we need it to survive, I, I guess I hate to say to survive, but you know, most people cannot survive in our day and age without some form of technology. But are you enslaved to it? 1 John five twenty one says this, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. That's the bottom line. Screen idolatry is real. Screen idolatry is something that we all struggle with. But by the grace of God and the power of the gospel and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers, we don't have to be slaves living in darkness. We don't have to be sitting in the darkness of our own little rooms thinking that God's not there with an image in front of us bowing down and worshiping it as a pile of dung, as, as Ezekiel would say, or as a corrupting thing, as Moses would say, or living in darkness, as the New Testament would say. We can be free to walk as children of the light. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. If you have any questions about screen idolatry or issues that you want to talk about, you can find me at seancole.net, S-E-A-N-C-O-L-E.net. There's other sermon resources there. You can email me there. I'd love to answer your questions. Um, Again, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I pray that you have a great day and the Lord bless you and keep you. Until next time, This is Pastor Sean with Understanding Christianity.